Tomas Tanchak is the lead and creator of the Nethermind Ethereum client. Tomas, welcome to the Ethereum Carriers podcast. Uh, My pleasure. Hi. So what, what made you decide to start building an Ethereum client? Uh, so this story is interesting. It was my, my decision first was to uh, to start a, a business in the blockchain space generally. So um, before that, I was in financial industry. Uh, I had this like stable and promising job at a hedge fund. And I thought like oh, I spent the previous one and a half year reading the news on blockchain on Ethereum every day, like two or three hours probably. And, and I decided, yeah, it's time, it's time to start. And like on the first day when I said, okay, I set up a company and now I decide what to do. And on the first day I just started reading, I remember still learning Solidity and Python and reading the things. And then I started building my like trading trading tool. Like I wanted to have some auto, all the trader started connecting with some centralized exchanges of that time. They have the API, started building. And I thought, hmm, this would be even cooler if I built the automatic trading on the tokens, which were just appearing at that time. It was 2017. So ICOs. And I thought like there'd be so many tokens. If you start trading them, maybe some arbitrage. And, uh, and then I thought to do that properly, I need to really understand how Ethereum and smart contracts works. And uh, I started building the first code for getting into the details uh, in my like favorite language of that one favorite. I mean, like the one that I knew very well because I wanted to build something quickly for myself. So I started building code in uh, .NET in C Sharp. And, and then I realized that, well, something that I thought already existed, the client in C Sharp did not exist. And it's so cool. It was so interesting to build it, to read the yellow paper, to code. I just continued and it ended up being that I totally dropped the project of, uh, of building the trading bot and uh, and got into the writing the client. So that's that's the story. So it actually sounds like you kind of predated DeFi with DeFi, like the whole algo trader on chain. Yeah, I have this like a bit of uh, historical document, which I uh, I hope it would be as NFT as a proof that it really existed at that time. But uh, there was this like one page business plan of a person that read a lot about the blockchain, but didn't know perfectly how to feel the paradigm. But it was talking about building the centralized exchange and the super nodes that would do some kind of arbitrage trading. Uh, so I think I described something that was a bit like one inch combined with a bit of MEV. And, and I was believing that the tools that I'm building are just like an introduction to all of that. So obviously I wouldn't name it DeFi, but then I was strongly believing in the idea of that, that the blockchain trading will be bigger one day than the traditional finance trading. That the on-chain activity that we are early, I was just after a period of reading a lot of books of those early days of hedge funds. Like they, uh, there's a great book from the author. I, I don't, I hope I don't corrupt the name. It's uh, Schwager, I think, and it's called uh, Hedge Fund Wizards. And there's also a book called Market Wizards, very, very famous books of like, uh, the world of high-frequency trading, the starting of hedge funds appearing in the 70s, 80s. Uh, I was so inspiring because it looks so so funny that you have this massive world of people looking at the microseconds 
uh, ticks nowadays, but then they were saying they were trading based on TV news. And I thought that this is the time. We're entering the blockchain thing that will be trading on blockchain on, on TV news or on Twitter threads. Um, but in the future, it will be all different. So let's start building tools. This is the future. People will be building uh, aggregators, exchange aggregators, and so on. Very interesting. Um, so in terms of why you picked .NET, you were saying that that was where you were the most experienced. So just to be able to spin things up for yourself, that was the easiest, uh, that was the easiest language to work in. Yeah, for me, it was it was obvious. I had like, I don't know, 10, 15 years of experience building systems in, in .NET, and that was for banking, for hedge funds. So, you know, there would be no reason to assume that it's not a good system for, uh, not, not a good language for the um, systems engineering. Uh, in a way, it's it's not the best choice. I mean, like it's probably comparable to to selecting Go as uh, for performance reasons. If you want to go faster than C Rust, a similar approach would be faster. Um, but very quickly, I told myself that if I decide, if I commit to build a node, and I think that node can be used by um, by financial industry, by enterprises, that many of them will want to integrate that with their systems, and they will have already developers that are familiar with either Java or C Sharp. So I, I don't write in Java. At that time, the Java client was not that much more in maintained anymore. So like there was this um, Ethereum J Harmony project. Uh, and I thought, let's let's build something in C-sharp because institutions will be feeling very, very uh, confident about it. And only later, like after one year, one and a half year of coding, I realized that uh, in the meantime, consensus started this uh, BESU project, uh, the Pantheon at that time, and it was written right. in Java. But like, yeah, that makes the institutional client uh, market a bit more busy. Uh, it was a bit of a, a hard time to realize that, so that I have a bit of a new competitor in the place, but yeah. I, you've definitely doubled down on .NET since then. Like Nethermind's kept all of its work in .NET. Uh, do you still do you still see that as a vector that like uh, a lot of the enterprise that are that like do already have a .NET backend will be more likely to to use Nethermind? Um, so I see that people do build plugins for uh, Nethermind in C Sharp, and I feel confident about it. And maybe even now, when when you look at 2021, 2022, this is the time when lots of the financial industry specialists starts to start to move on blockchain like a bit more seriously, right? So previously yeah, they were trading a bit, they were reading the news. And only last year, the volumes and the money that is available and stability became something that was attractive enough for those people to move, which means that um, suddenly, Nanomite is a good starting point for many of those who have experience writing in .NET, right? Like, uh, I know at least a few big hedge funds in London that are practically .NET shops, C-sharp shops. Also, when I was starting writing the clients, uh, it was still so-called like .NET before .NET Core. It wouldn't even support uh, Linux and Mac. And then after three months of me coding, uh, the Mac and Linux support came to .NET, and that convinced me that it's okay to stay. Also, the .NET Foundation put a lot of effort into improving performance of .NET Core. It was very visible in our next iterations, like uh, some of the .NET updates cost 20, 30% improvements of the general performance of the code after like we removed allocations. We, we just started building things that are much closer to the uh, to metal, to the actual CPU operations. and and generally, it's a it's a very solid platform to build on. It's it's a great language. Uh, it's fast. 
environment to execute. It's supporting all the platforms. Um, and the, you know the syntax of the language is very familiar for many people that uh, that worked in the industry. It's very similar to Java, similar to C++ in many ways, and uh, to the the old side of Delphi systems and so on. Curly brace language is the Solidity docs call it. Was it uh, again? Sorry. Solidity used to call itself uh, similar in syntax to JavaScript, which was just funny because it wasn't. But um, I noticed, I don't know exactly when, I think it was in 0 0.6 or 0 0.7, they changed it to say that it looked like curly brace languages. So <laughs> you're saying looks familiar. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like, like the curly brace languages. No, um, but I still think that Solidity, JavaScript, syntax, like, they still feel familiar. Uh, like if I yeah. if I would think of languages like I don't know Ruby or Python uh, yeah. or Rust, suddenly they, they look very different. Mm -hmm. Like but C yeah. Java, JavaScript, C sharp, uh, mm -hmm. Solidity, they, they all feel very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um if I could continue on this thread just a bit more also. Um, in terms of the experience of running Ethereum clients now and production or interacting with the chain. What we've seen really um, come into the fore, I think, for most developers is that instead of running their own their own node locally, they'll use another provider like Infura or Alchemy. And then nodes essentially just become things that node professionals run that expose like an API or an endpoint for people to connect to. Do you feel like the future does include that these houses will run their own nodes? Or do you think that we're going to continue to see this kind of paradigm where running the nodes gets outsourced? So I would love the world where, you know, like every every mobile device that somehow connects to the blockchain world runs some version of the node, right? So the, the world yeah. where you have a very, very solid construction, secure construction of the light client. And, and this is very much an important component of the Ethereum 2 roadmap or like the stateless client implementation roadmap for Ethereum. And at the same time, it's like, for, for me, it doesn't feel like it's my biggest area of interest. I always was saying that the institution, financial institutions, they will have incentive to run the node locally. So that the hedge funds that they, you know, nowadays are crypto hedge funds, the data projects, um, banks, uh, governments, um, like the institutions that oversee, like, that monitor what governments do, that all of them, they will want to run their own nodes. and. It means that we still will have thousands of nodes running and those will be heavier things, but they will really care about it. And those will be enough for the public to, to make sure that it's decentralized, that it's monitored by people, look at each other and verify what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so the nodes become heavier and heavier. There's lots of initiatives to make it lighter to run the Ethereum node. Um, there was lots of significant improvements in the existing clients to like keeping the same architecture to still improve performance. And, and something that we're claiming in Nanomine was possible that like even those not order of magnitude improvements but incremental improvements to the to some algorithms and some of the state management would be beneficial to, uh, to Ethereum as a network. And they were, I mean, like uh, we did it and then Gap spent a lot of time on performance improvements. And it was a bit of like fixing one of the biggest crises of 2019, where we were worried that Ethereum 1 client will not handle the load until Ethereum 2 appears. And we managed to go over the last two years of the reasonably good state. Um, sure, it's heavy to sync the network, but it's much better than it was two years ago. 
with uh, many times bigger in a network, right? It was the state was 25 gigabytes at the time, then now it's maybe 100 gigs, uh, but we synchronize in comparable or shorter time. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, so I wanted to go back to what you were saying before that you just kind of opened up the yellow paper and started coding a client. Um, were you really able to code a client just by reading the yellow paper? Like, is that a viable way? Or maybe to phrase this in a different way, if someone wanted to build a client now, how would you recommend they figure out how to build a client? So um, I think nowadays uh, they build some fantastic uh, Python specification for a client. So if I was writing nowadays, probably that's what I would use as a source. I don't know if it's finished already or I probably work in progress. So if you if you go to Ethereum specs, uh, there is a massive effort funded by foundation and a lot of community members uh, to specify everything that happens on Ethereum much better, like uh, much more in detail. So there's JSON or PC or say Ethereum 2, Ethereum 1, different components of the system. Um, it sounds like a good way to go. I was coding from yellow paper. Uh, whether it's the best way to go. Um, yeah, I believe so, because there was one very, very strong assumption from me. Like I didn't want to look at other client code and just build it because I thought that then it wouldn't be new. First of all, think about my goal. I wanted to learn and learning by just rewriting things that would be just 10% of the same result as like trying to solve those problems, think about how they're described and why and what they mean. The second thing is from the perspective of the client uh, diversity in the ecosystem, uh, just transpiling the code, like converting the code by looking and writing the same leads to very similar uh, potential mistakes, problems in the clients. And by just writing everything from scratch, uh, it contributes a lot to the diversity. So I think that's, that's why Nanomite was so crucial for the client diversity. We had entirely different set of problems uh, saying that Snetamind was uh, stable all the, all the time, like it has its own problems, but very often these were very different problems than what Kef team would find. And also the improvements to the network um, were were something that we would never find if, if it was written exactly like many other clients, right? Um, I did spend, I probably like small, small percentage of the code was based on the my analysis of the Ethereum J because that was the most uh, most easy code base to read, like knowing the .NET, Java, or very similar languages, C-sharp Java. Uh, but really, that was just like one or two, the uh, cryptographical concepts of uh, handshaking and so on. So writing, coming back to your question, uh, writing from yellow paper is possible to some extent. I, I got stuck at the state tree implementation. I absolutely couldn't uh, couldn't implement the state tree by reading the yellow paper. I, I, I thought that something is missing and I started looking for, there was a white paper describing it. Then there were some uh, documents from others describing what the tree is. Uh, and much of the help was from the tests. So Ethereum test, there's like 20, 30, 40,000 tests uh, that define how the things should uh, happen. and Part of my work was based on tests, like looking at what tests were specifying, how the how the tree should behave, and trying to match it. And that's how I was finding like some small uh, quirks with the RLP implementation that simply were missing from the yellow paper. So so that was impossible. But mm -hmm. EVM, you can code it entirely from yellow paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've heard people say that the yellow paper isn't always fully up to date. Also, is that is that accurate? 
Uh, yes, I mean, when I was writing the code, initial code, the yellow paper was up to date, mostly. And we were just entering the space when the Byzantium uh, was happening. And I think that's when yellow paper stopped being updated. Uh, not sure what's the current state. I didn't look at yellow paper in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sharing it very often. I tell people to read it. Uh, I encourage everybody to read it. It's, uh, there's lots, lots of things that contribute to the Ethereum success. And, and some of them are you know, underestimated. The fact that there was such a, such a clear formalization it set the tone for people working on Ethereum that that's that's how we should work. We should formalize things. We should be very precise. That uh, that this is both academic and exciting. And I think it's one of the contributors to some extent to the fact that Ethereum is cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you did you find you were able to kind of get through the implementation on your own, or did you end up kind of finding community around you also as you as you were building the client? Um. So just after I started, after two months, uh, joined me and uh, he was helping me a lot over the first months. Uh, his implementations on the discovery protocol, some of the early synchronization concepts, we were working on them together. Um, then later later he left, uh, but it was after like a year. He was working full time, half time, I was working full time. Uh, then just around that time, we got this first grant from Ethereum Foundation, which is like the first signal that someone thinks that what we're building makes sense. It was massive boost of confidence, you know, like I was so happy at the time because I said, what if it's all wasted? And it's like, I just got so much into it. Uh, and then we hired uh, Piotrek. Piotrek was with us and was helping a lot with like JSON RPC port, started building the first foundations of, of some of the experimentations with data, data marketplace that we were building at that time, uh, contributed a lot to the, to the code. So, uh, and also I remember the click protocol was appearing, was important for us. That was written by uh, the guy going by the Nick Destiner. I think he's now at Balancer Labs. So, so if he's listening, thank, thanks a lot. Like that was a really cool contribution at that time. Uh, like we couldn't, uh, we couldn't at that time start to work together. Like the deadline was so, so like barely any budget. And uh, but it was at that time when the community started making some small contributions. Uh, but I was running it more like we're thinking that it's a business that it should be sooner or later making money instead of being just a community project. And I believe that. There is some level of contributions that you can expect from open source. They can make some uh, very well-defined pieces of code, uh, some contributions, some, some fixes, some you know, uh, typos, maybe adding some configurations, fixing something for their platform. But when you need some proper maintenance and bashing through lots of like small differences between clients and uh, and bigger rewrites and some architectural decisions that you need people full-time involved in that. So it can still be open source, um, but it feels very, very awkward to expect that this will be some contributors that are not paid and uh, or simply not in the state where they can just spend all the time on the project. Mm -hmm. This is this is not a work at like 20 hours per week. It's a work for like 60 or 80 hours per week, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess also what I was wondering, though, is like, uh, if there's kind of a community of client builders, like, and if you get stuck at a certain place, like, I don't know, you can reach out to Geth or a different kind of team for support there. Was that something that happened or maybe like not as much of a thing? 
Um, so we were very, I don't know, like stubborn and disconnected from community. So uh, if you think about uh, what we did, maybe the worst was being so much isolated. The one cool thing was from the very first day, I made the code open source and I didn't want to build, 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 and then suddenly open source it. So you can see from the very first comment history of how Nodomite client was built. Uh, the first comment just says, Nodomite, and like, yeah, that's it. And, and it was blank page, no code. And I don't know, like the first, the next thing was probably like the class representing the address. Um, and for the next year or one and a half year, I didn't even know that there is all core devs channel. Like, think about it. This is <laughs> ridiculous, right? Like, uh, and then I wrote to, to people saying, like, uh, how we can get like a bit more support. And they said, like, just join all core devs. And I said, like, but how do I get invite? And, so, and, and I didn't know they could just sculpt it, you know? Like, uh, I didn't know that there was a channel, Gitter. So after like one and a half year, I started being very active on Gator channel. Like I think that Gerly launch helped a lot. There was this initiative started by uh, by Afrishan Afri, and uh, yeah. and I think Chainsafe team guys also were there. Um, it was like multi-client implementation of consensus. I think it was the very first time when I felt I'm part of the community. Uh, that's a fantastic guy, Ronin Kaizen, uh, that was so active all the time on the on the channels. And he was so supportive, like uh, saying, oh, you're building something great and like cheering and launching clients. Literally first time when I felt that I'm part of the community and I felt what community means. Mm, yeah, and that kept us through the, the hardest of times, you know? And later it expanded into the community of like Gitcoin launching and all those people showing support, uh, showing that they want client diversity. Very, very uplifting for, for me, for the entire team. Um, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Um, what what parts, in terms of actually coding the client, were there any parts of the client, like you mentioned some of the issues before, like in the in the building state tree, um, were there parts of, other parts of it that you found to be more challenging than you expected? Or I guess alternatively, if there was anything that was surprisingly easier than you expected it to be? More challenging than expected. Um... <laughs> probably networking components and synchronization for me uh i spent quite a lot of time thinking about how synchronization should work i i didn't have experience in uh in peer-to-peer -peer networking or even networking right so i started building those very low level things related to, to sockets and tcp handshaking and it's not easy to test, right? So you connect to the network other nodes disconnect and you don't know why and and then you have to launch a few clients locally, debug some other code base, uh, see what code paths go, go GAF client goes through. Like, so this is probably, that was the only time when I launched GAF uh, debugger and I checked like what really happens like when we got disconnected. And that was hard. And I spent a lot, a lot of time on, uh, on debugging networking. And even nowadays, I think uh, all the devs, like when we have to debug networking, this is challenging. Um, now you have lots of tools, diagnostic tools added, which like track what's disconnecting at what exactly what's, I don't know, microsecond we, we receive what messages, what's the ordering. Um, but you have a lot of, um, lot of garbage flowing through the network, like clients, random clients connecting and sending uh, false uh, messages, trying to, to break you lots of old bots that were trying to break Ethereum or spam you, DDoS you, whatever. 
Uh, that are so, still yeah, active so, on the network now, just out of curiosity. Yeah, I think there's lots of those like zombie zombie things that uh, that someone launched years ago and are still running and they're still trying tricks to to break the clients. So that's good actually for like if you build a new client, it's good because you immediately test it. Uh, <laughs> so you have all this like history of transactions that try to break different clients, so they will try to break your client. You have a lot of uh, zombie processes on the network. You try to either steal if from you, like if you unlock an account or uh, or try to break your note or whatever. So what was easier than expected? I guess EVM, uh, like it feels, because many people think that building EVM is so difficult. So there are some like corner cases that are super painful, but actually building EVM, is, it's fun. It's it's easy, it's pleasant. Like optimizing it later, it's, it's a bit of madness, but, but this is just like, you know, you can have EVM probably built in, in a week and then maybe optimize it and play with it for a few more weeks. Uh, but it was pleasant to write and easier than expected. Mm -hmm. Interesting, very interesting. Um, so maybe if I could uh, zoom out of it and touch on something that you mentioned before, which was Nethermind, um, I think more than any other client, at least that I'm personally aware of in terms of their architecture, uh, boasts very strong support for plugins. And we've seen Nethermind even launch a number of integrations. Um, the few that come to mind are Baseline, Starkware, and Flashbots. Uh, how do you see plugins like as a part of your client? And why is Nethermind so dedicated to a plugin architecture? I think that like, it's, it's a bit of trying to find uh, maybe a niche or like a business case. So if I say that from the very beginning, Tendermont was, like, I was not thinking I'm just building a client code base, leave it for community and then I work on something else, right? By making the statement that it has to be a profitable business. First of all, I said that uh, it's, not, it's not bad when community supports you because you make a commitment to yourself, to, to everyone else. And you have to keep thinking of something that's really useful, right? And it's something that can be monetized in whatever way. And if you think of something that can be monetized, then, then you start thinking of what people need and then don't get from other clients. And, and you think like, okay, so maybe plugins, maybe some things related to financial markets, DeFi that could be built into the client or maybe slightly different behavior that, um, I think we were slightly, maybe not breaking the rules, but bending the rules and like how much data we download. We we knew that if we if we grew a lot in market share on mainnet, that we would have to remove some of the things that we supported uh, because we could rely on this like GAF being 80, 90% of the network. So, so GAF benefits from that a lot, but then it means that we also have opportunity to benefit from being the smaller client and, and take some shortcuts and fix some other places. So. Uh, plugins was maybe simply something that I felt very confident with from the previous projects that I worked in, in the, uh, like analyzing a lot of this like modular architectures, uh, you know, enterprise architectures, because that's, that's what I used to work with. Like for many years, I was working in the enterprise space, building big systems that, that had to support as frameworks and plugins written by other teams. Um, and then if I thought that you want to make it extensible for people who want to work with data directly in the process, the vision was uh, we build it for the, you know, like the someone who would be nowadays an MEV searcher that wants to be as close to the process as possible. They don't want to talk to a client for RPC. They want to plug in their code 
and be able to decide on what transactions to create and inject it to the mempool, all done in memory of the client, right? So you don't have RPC latencies, deserialization, serialization, additional process, you can do that. So that was the vision. And so and that was, so practically when you think about flashbots, MEV, this was, um, I think one, one thing that I strongly believed in, uh, you could maybe find me talking in London on one of the conferences in 2018 about this vision of miners should be extracting recent value. I didn't call it MEV. I, oh, wow. And, wow. And, and that they should really, they are in such a position that they should make this. And then and then I've heard Carl Flourish talking about it, on, uh, I think in Prague on DEF CON, and I thought like, yeah, yeah, exactly what I what I strongly believe. And I was super excited about this because I thought that this is the, the kernel of the, uh, of the financial markets and HFT. And when I've heard that Flashbots is building something like this, is, I loved it. I mean, I thought, wow, yeah, this, this is it. Uh, and I wanted Nethermind to be as quickly as possible, like integrated with the ecosystem, say like, use Nethermind. And um, again, I'm like, I mean, VGAF was the first implementation, it was very natural. So, so it was a bit of a disappointment that, um, that it, like, because we didn't have mining support, like, oh, when we were asking about what was hard, I mean, it was maybe not hard, like coming back to one of your previous questions, it was not maybe hard to implement the mining, but because I always felt like it's so it's so risky if we do it wrong, and it will be such a toil to convince miners to switch from their like very cozy places where they've already established everything with Open Ethereum and gas. That's that's why probably we never took it as priority. And then suddenly MEV appeared, and we didn't have mining, so so it was less likely that miners would launch an anonymite as a mining. But we we did it on side chains, right? So we support. Uh, support MEV on, on like XDAI and uh, probably on other chains that uh, that you could run as side chains like energy web chain and so on. So these are smaller chains, uh, but but then my shows yeah it's it's supported and what it means that when we switch to Ethereum two. Uh, with the merge, the Nanomite will be in place to support MEV out of the box the same way as MEV gave to us. And, and we'll have some plugin ecosystem. And then that's like a great opportunity for you to, to contribute to diversity of the clients. Uh, yeah, that's that's a broad answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a bit specifically there on MEV also. is it, Do you know if there is actually like an active MEV ecosystem in XDI right now? Uh, so we see some uh, some MEV transactions flowing, some bundles flowing. There was some some effort, some uh, some attempts in the dark forest. I was um, wondering, yeah, exactly. So we we see it happening. We don't really spend that much time analyzing that flow because that flow is uh, is not that big yet. But I think it's all about like how XDAI grows and the future on the uh, it it is now like as this gnosis, gnosis chain. Is, uh, is the vision of being uh, like a beacon chain canary network. So the great opportunity for some of the DeFi projects to jump there to try it. And a great opportunity that it grows a lot. Like think about uh, the growth of Polygon. Uh, XDAI might be that, that chain. And then suddenly you have a lot, a lot of MEV there. Um, and, and then it goes through probably through Nethermind nodes and you have this support already there, which is a Flashbot mm -hmm. style according to Flashbot spec um following exactly the same rules and with the relay uh, so so we run the relay on the for the xdi right but it's it's more like representation of the flashbot stack 
Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just to make sure that I'm understanding properly the the big difference MEV wise between say Ethereum mainnet and XDAI slash Gnosis chain um, is in the consensus mechanism since there isn't mining on Nethermind that's where the issues come in on mainnet but then it's I think a POA structure mm -hmm. on XDAI so yes because it's currently XDAI is running this POSDAO Gnosis chain POSDAO and uh, and soon the the same like proof of stake model as Ethereum, uh, that's what we support, right? So Nethermind nodes are, actually Nethermind is very big on side chains uh, like XDAI, EWF, uh, it runs maybe nowadays, in some cases it runs majority of the network, right? So, so these are quite big networks and run significant numbers of validators producing blocks on Nethermind nodes. Uh, so even if we think we look at uh, mainnet, Ethereum mainnet, and the might know would be like single digit percentage uh, market share on those, on some of the side chains, it'll be like 50, 60% or even more. Like on some test nets, there'll be like predominantly like 90% and the might know it's running. Uh, and, and it was practically also like one way of, uh, of monetizing it, like going to those uh, chains that need an integration that are building, that are innovating, uh, but we're, like really uh, left left behind by parity deciding to move away from Ethereum ecosystem, right? And, I, and suddenly there was this place where, where parity had this ability to say, yeah, like just, just pay us to support it or something. And I would say, yeah, no, that's, that's okay. Like we have another client here and uh, I'm happy because I felt like we contributed to also like this ecosystem of side chains. Like either you had to build some GAF support or you could, uh, and just switch to another mind and get some more uh, safe life. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so Nethermind is also working on a Starkware integration, or actually, I don't know if this classifies as a plugin. Correct me if this is a plugin or if it would have kind of a different category. Um, yeah. how's, how's Nethermind working with Starkware right now? So this is uh, this is the moment when you st stop thinking about Nethermind as a client brand and think about Nethermind as a company, right? So uh it started as a client implementation with a vision that monetization the most likely monetization will be integrations helping others through our understanding of protocol and building some like finding opportunity to build products and services around it right mm -hmm. uh, so there was this conversation that i had with um with uh, uh alexei from Merigan, and uh that was in FCC, I think 2020, and he said, uh, you know, like, I, I think it's a very hard place to, to make money out of the client. And I was like super excited saying, no, no, I think that the client companies will be billion dollar companies, you know, like I tell them, it's like, it's like Linux businesses like Red Hat and Ubuntu, you get so much deep knowledge that it's so hard to later to reproduce. Uh, and you, and you build and you start building services, you attract a lot of talent. Uh, and this is the way to grow for us. And last year was super great. I mean, like, as I say, we we, we can say thank you so much to the community that's, that's allowed us to survive, helped help us to survive 2019 and 2020. You've heard the story so many times, I won't be repeating those, but uh, but then suddenly we entered this 2021 with support from community, support from Ethereum Foundation, uh, much better organized Ethereum Foundation saying, yeah, we know exactly how to help. Uh, we we identified the core players. We helped the client diversity. We know the roadmap for Ethereum too, uh, and I think we took the advantage of it of like in positive way. Sorry, like to like take the opportunity to uh, 
to expand to help as many super cool projects in the ecosystem as possible. And Stark were being like one of the most fantastic, obviously. Uh, I've, I've been excited with what Starker is building, has been building from the early times. I mean, they, they invited lots of builders in 2019 to uh, to Tel Aviv for Starkware sessions. And I went there and they started talking about what Starks are. There was like a, I don't know, six, seven hour sessions, which was like you were going deep into maths things, solving some Starks. And uh, they provide a lot of packages. I thought like, wow, this is so well organized. Uh, so much focused on technology and actual tough things instead of just trying to sell you uh, you know, tokens and presentations. They did just totally like build with us, and and these are the contents. These are the the tools. This is what we build. Give us feedback, and, and I thought like, wow, this this is like the the next next generation of things. And um, and it took took a while until we could really build much more. I mean, last year we decided to to think like, okay, let's let's build a team that will be entirely dedicated to layer two, particularly. Cairo and Stark were because because it's so much fun. Like I simply I I was invited for some like beta uh, testing of Cairo language. I feel like I I haven't felt so much fun as a developer in a long time. Right? It's a new language and it's such a different thing that makes you feel like you're again at university in your best times. Um, and the team so quickly just uh, caught some wind, started getting some ideas, building, and it grew a lot. And the team is something that we're super proud of. Uh, so, so, you know, at the beginning, uh, school ads, Sherman school ads, and then Greg Vardy started leading into uh, the team into, into building something, uh, a massive, tackling the hardest problems. So, so it's not coming back to your question about whether it's in Nethermind integration, the Nethermind client doesn't integrate directly Starkware beyond what uh, the fact that Starkware simply Starknet requires uh, layer one. So it requires uh, the network, the neural network. So automatically it requires any node to run. Uh, but we we build for Starkware many cool tools like Voyager, so which is a block explorer. Uh, if you go to voyager.online, uh, we built warp, uh, transpiler from from Yule from Solidity to to Cairo, uh, and and you see this like formal formal verification specification of uh, of Yule prepared for like uh, proofs that that you actually have the same thing that you wanted to to have on Cairo that you wrote on Solidity, uh, and it will continue. That's that cooperation is amazing. Starkware team is amazing. As uh, you know, you you talk to them and just. It's, it's it's starstruck with like what kind of like researchers, mathematicians, uh, engineers that you work with. So. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, also, uh, Nethermind, I believe, is still active in building an, an ETH2 client. Is that correct? Uh, so no, I like uh, it's, it's a good question to uh, give us opportunity. No one, yes, I mean, sorry. Like they, uh, it's something they really wanted to build. And I think it's it's a story of like me at the DevCon Prague and someone telling me, oh, there's some, some team that you should talk to. Danny Ryan is starting something and I didn't know who Danny Ryan is and and I didn't know what is happening. <laughs> so I like simply didn't find that meeting. And, and it happens to be that it was like the launch of Ethereum too. So, so that's why I say like, you have, to, <laughs> you have to know what the community is doing and you have to attend the awkward devs because you miss it. And still we started building Ethereum to client. 
uh, even as, as we missed that meeting. But it means that, you know, there was a, a lot of support of those early clients, like financial support and so on, so they could launch. And, and we were operating, think about it, like a $20,000 a year budget at the time. So, wow. so yeah, let's say like, we, we couldn't simply start building two, three years project without some monetization vision because we didn't survive. Uh, and, but we were, to some extent, we, we worked with, uh, Sly Gryphon, some, some amazing coder from Australia, and, and he started building the Cortex client. And I talked to him, and I seemed like, like, I started building also on the side the, the C-sharp implementation, and, and he was going with like SSZ and, and some early versions of, uh, of, of some of the attestations code or something. Uh, and I thought like, okay, we're building in the parallel, how we work together. And, and we agreed on some turns and I, I started building a bit more under the Nethermind brand, but we kept the Cortex name. I think it was super nicely fitting the, the rest of the naming. Uh, but you know, like again, uh, that was tough time and we couldn't survive like the putting much more effort and resources into that, uh, which means that we had to give up, which I, I regret a lot and i hope that we will pick exactly that code base cortex and finish it one day um mm. and and we talk about it quite often like uh, okay is the core team now available to, to build it or maybe some some interns that work with us would like to pick it up it's uh, nowadays it's much simpler than it was at the time the, the biggest problem was the uh, the networking library so dp2p uh was not written in c sharp and we had to build bindings and that was not so easy at the time and i think that was like the biggest blocker uh because it would be massive effort you have lip p2p for uh, for the other languages that uh, uh that the clients either into clients are written in, so. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting um so and i guess then also maybe just to wrap the uh wrap off the section maybe also looking towards uh looking at the clock um what other frontiers is nethermind on like what haven't we talked about in terms of where nethermind's looking and where it's going i it could be that it's also worth branching this into a monetization question i feel like we've kind of gotten a lot of information about like nethermind surviving as a company by making a client but maybe even just to address that directly like how nethermind sees itself in the future and how it plans on propagating itself um so when i think about like the the areas of like the of technology around ethereum well, we try to do everything that's related to ethereum like like say okay something is important in ethereum we do that so so we work on layer two side chains uh we work on prototyping so things related to vertical trees for ethereum stateless client exploration account abstraction project that uh christoph gajo is uh, running with his team and uh, then there is uh, the merge that we involved in we have devs working full-time on making the, the merge success and I, I think i'm happy to see the in mind uh, it's always somewhere there at the front of, of implementation uh, we uh, we build the tools for Starkware, as you've heard. We work with the Forta protocol for like building agents uh, for detecting threats on the network. Um, it's been making we, a lot of news recently, even I don't mean to cut in, but it took me, I think, till around this week to really understand what Forta was doing. And like uh, once yeah, it started so, clicking for me, like I am blown away. I, I, I like feel like I have to just throw that in on the side. Exactly, and it's uh, it's a fantastic way of entry into the solidity and solidity security world because you start building for agents and it requires you to 
to analyze the code base of the top biggest protocols that are there. And, and there's no better way of learning how to code properly in Solidity than just to analyze how know, projects like Aave are, are built. Um, so yeah, Florida is fun thing that we built. We uh, we launch infrastructure projects, so things related to staking, running a lot of validator nodes. We run validator nodes on Nozis uh, because of Ethereum Foundation grant. We run validators on uh, on Ethereum. We run some infrastructure for the uh, for the projects like Serer, like uh, the Mutable X, and so on. And the uh, what what else we do? We we, we, we run uh, an a project for, for data flows. So, so things like similar to, to block native and covalent, but like with simulation network providing uh, providing the data from the DeFi world from blockchain. So we're expanding that part. It's, it's a bit of continuation of our data marketplace, but done more with the, um, with the focus on what client needs are. And uh, I keep growing now. It's like 75 people now at the company. Wow. Uh, it's uh, a lot of effort to make sure that we have efficient operations, that we hire globally. Like we are, in, we have people from twenty-five countries now. Wow. Uh, so there's uh, like uh, it's uh, surprising that we managed to to get reach out to to some of these places and find the talent because some like humblingly, amazingly talented people that are joining and and telling me like okay. Uh, I'm not that much needed, but as I like kickstarted that machine, that's so pleasant to look at. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm pretty sure that I missed something super important and I'll feel later, you know, <laughs> awfully bad about missing it. So, so we experiment with baseline for sure, but uh, like the baseline project has its own ways of uh, like trouble sometimes, some ideas. I think that uh, I really care about the idea of using public blockchain for institutions. Uh, but I wouldn't like to to drop that idea if it's if it's hard. I just like push really really much to to make it happen, and I'll maybe layer two is the way to do that. So, yeah. So, anything else you'd like to end off with in terms of like either a call to action or anything else that you'd want to mention about another mind? I think nowadays our main call to action is like like join us for the internship. Like so so super proud of the internship program that we built because we give people opportunity to try everything. Like when you say, oh, we built so many different things, and we tell those people, come on and just touch everything you want, like anything you want. Like you can start, you can drop it if it's boring. Um, because sometimes you had this internships where like you allocate it and you feel like, oh, I, I chose bad. And and this. People on the internships, it's really hard to judge which project is fun and which is not based on some like advertising at the beginning. So we tell them like after one day, you don't like anything about it, move somewhere else. And we bring a lot, a lot of people to the ecosystem. Like we we tell them, okay, now you're now you're so good in Ethereum, you can go to other projects. And then we help you to get to any project that you want to get to. It's it's not a program to to bring people to Nettermind, it's a program to bring people to Ethereum and blockchain. And it works so well, and it's so satisfying to see that, see those successes and the projects that they're starting and the hackathons that they're building. So yeah, that's, that's my call to action. Awesome. Uh, come to awesome. mind. Mm. I know what I forgot about. <laughs> I forgot about Metaverse. We started building in Metaverse, and uh, I'm super hyped about Metaverse as well. Oh, so I'm actually going to throw this in. Then. What, what does that? What does this mean in Nethermind's case that it's uh, <laughs> that it's building for the Metaverse? So, so, so yeah, no, like we, we're launching the teams to, to, to build, to help, 
to help companies to integrate with metaverse players like real estate space in metaverse and uh, yeah, like and DeFi. I think about it. We build DeFi as well. Like we work with Euler, we build for them. Mm. <laughs> I won't let you say goodbye. Sorry. No, yeah. I'll, I'll it's all good. All of those things that we get. But... Yeah. So, so Thomas, thanks for coming on the Ethereum <laughs> Thank you. Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, really.